The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel is now partnering with the Mazodcast, offering you the best Mizzou gear on the market. All you have to do is enter the promo code Mizzou, and you'll get 20% off your entire purchase. So do it now. Home Field Apparel, the best stuff you can get. The football season is in full swing, and Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Head to Bet Online today and use our promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Throw it. Slam. This bugs for you, Mizzou. They are carving up this LSU defense. It don't get no better than that, man. He's racked up to short middle. Beatty with the catch. And he's going to jet his way into the end zone. Missouri touchdown. Hand off to Roundtree running left. Gets 35 to the 40. Left sideline around the man. This is the Mazzotcast. Howdy, Tiger fans, and welcome to the Mazzotcast. I'm your host, Brennan Anthony. Joining me, as always, is Jason Whitlock's PR director, Colin Anthony. What's up, dum-dums? <laughs> Jason Whitlock was, the, I think, the only person in the universe who was really upset that Vanderbilt was trying to march out a woman to uh, kick a field goal. Wow, that doesn't sound like him at all. <laughs> yeah, usually, he's usually on the right side of history. Yeah. Not joining us tonight is Caleb Bungard, who is in quarantine after attending a super spreader event, I guess, over the weekend. He's not going to be joining us, but we are going to have an exciting episode because, once again, this is becoming a pattern. Mizzou won. Yeah, we're over 500. That's right. Missouri's four and three. They beat the Vanderbilt Commodores 41 to zero. Colin, We've seen a lot of bad Vanderbilt teams mm-hmm. uh, over the past eight seasons, Brennan, but uh, this was a very, very bad football team. Yeah, you got to be bad when you are uh, too bad for Vanderbilt standards. Yeah, exactly, because they've set the bar extremely low. This has been a weird week because, obviously, it was Thanksgiving week. We were supposed to play the Arkansas Razorbacks. That game got canceled after Arkansas 
came down with a number of COVID cases and got below the threshold they needed to field the team. This was going to be, I don't think, the fourth game that had been rearranged for the Tigers, at least the fourth game. And the SEC wisely moved up the Vanderbilt game, which was scheduled to be at the end of this season. Since we both had an opening, we played the game here in Columbia, Missouri, and the Tigers looked, I mean, well, Vanderbilt made the Tigers look like a title contender, frankly. You know, it was yeah, it, was it was not a contest. It was, it was fun to watch if you were a Tiger fan. Flyer Roundtree uh, looked all world. Uh, base lack looked, everything looked good. I mean, there, there isn't much to complain about. The defense looked incredible. Uh, at this point, the, the Missouri defense is like ranked third in the SEC and like 31st in the country, according to Dave Matter. So uh, all we had to do was get rid of our defensive head coach to really bring the defense along. It doesn't make any sense because we did get rid of Barry Odom, who was supposedly a ma- defensive mastermind, and he did nothing defensively with us. And I think now we have an offensive coach, and our defense I really stole the show. Frank, I mean, it was a shutout. Obviously, that's incredibly difficult to do. By being a shutout, Missouri played these spoilers, and uh, I guess the world was against us since Vanderbilt was trotting out. I guess it was the main headline from a national standpoint, not from Tiger fan standpoint, from a national standpoint, the uh, the kicker for Vanderbilt was, for the first time in a Power 5 game, a female. Was it Sarah Fuller was her name? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The truth is, is like some, I had a couple of people talk to me about it. I was like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, if this girl becomes a headline in this game, Mizzou had a bad game. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we do not need the, if she's kicking uh, extra points and field goals left and right, that means we did some bad stuff. And God forbid she would kick a game winner. You know what I mean? Like, that means Mizzou played the worst game possible. So, while I'm not as uh, down on it as, like, you know, say Jason Whitlock, who uh, would like this young lady not to be able to vote. And I was like, oh, well, you know what I mean? Like, who cares? <laughs> I mean, like, I want Mizzou to win. And uh, if uh, if she can kick a field goal in the process, sure, why not? Yeah, it was an unusual circumstance. I mean, I think that uh, even though Missouri won by 41 points, she was still the headline to most people around the country because outside of uh, Nashville or the state of Missouri, there weren't a lot of people who are going to watch this game. And I think they had a lot more eyes on the game simply because of her and the thought that, that she might poke in an extra point or a field goal. I think whenever she did end up in the second half kicking that uh, that kickoff, at first people were like, oh, that was pretty embarrassing. That was a pretty terrible shot. But that was a clearly designed play. You know, they didn't think yeah, she could the, kick the it in the back of the end zone. So they they did sort of a punch kick. Yeah, they, they, they had uh, said it was designed squib kick to a certain part of the field that she executed perfectly so congratulations you kicked a football once (laughs) now on to the game you know what i mean like again great wonderful i appreciate the way uh you know drinkowitz handled it but i mean at the end of the day we played a football game and there's a lot to talk about yeah and uh lord knows the sec network and the broadcast wasted more than enough time on that topic yeah, I mean, it's fine. It was good. It's 2020, Colin. I mean, it's a, it's a feel good story. I mean, I certainly was hoping it's like, you know, whether we went 41 to nothing or 41 to three, yeah, get stall out a drive at the 20 and let her boot one in. It would have been fun. I, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. You sound like it. You I'm sure it. sound like it. Well, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yep. I really wish she would have kicked field goal. She didn't. So let's talk, quit talking about things she didn't do and talk about, you know, Nick Bolton, who was, all world again you think he's an all-american this year how could he not be well i mean we've had a lot of good players not be all-americans i'm thinking kentrell brothers well i mean i think just like quintel kentrell brothers was an all-american he just played at mizzou and that that was um uh, unfortunate for him <laughs> when it came to that but i think bolton could be i think bolton is better than brothers i, I think he's a more explosive player i think i think he's I better think- than kale garrett who was 
on a path to be an All-American before he blew up his leg last year. Well, and I I think Bolton is more Weatherspoon than he has b- brothers. Do you know what I mean? And, and Weatherspoon was a guy who had a was a more explosive player and and had a much more success at the NFL level too. I, I think Bolton is the real deal. I think Bolton's getting drafted, you know, in the first three to four rounds. I think he's going to be a starter in the NFL. I mean, Lord knows I've been wrong before, but and you know the the rest of the defense played well too. Manuel continues to play well. The secondary played well. God, Vanderbilt's offense could just do nothing. Uh, nothing against us, you know and which just doesn't put us in any small category they haven't done anything against anyone but we certainly uh sort of had our way the defensive line still doesn't get enough pressure and um, you can kind of see where mizzou's depth is lacking their their maybe their talent is lacking it's in it's in the lines you know the defensive line plays admirably they play serviceably but they are not really set in the world of fire and really if i had one uh, sort of peccadillo with this game it was that you know, the broadcast couldn't heap enough praise on the offensive line. And while the offensive line did not have a bad game, there were certainly parts of this game where I thought, wow, uh, Vanderbilt's getting home too much. And there's way too many stops of our running backs behind the line of scrimmage. Now, the, the running backs had great games, so it's hard to want to talk about that. But the truth is, is we were playing better talent. There were still moments in I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. In this football game where I thought, ooh, our offensive line worries me sometimes. <laughs> we talked before we went on the air earlier today and we were saying, you know, like obviously when you win 41 to zero, if you're going to start complaining about anything, you're obviously just picking around the edges because overall it was unquestionably a very good day for the Mizzou Tigers. Even if it's Vanderbilt and a bad Vanderbilt at that, shutting out a team is always, always impressive. And I don't think we've done it in a couple of years. The defense seemed to be crisp. But it's, it's just one of those games where it's like when we do play a letter school at the beginning of the season, it's all well and good to beat the living shit out of them, but it really doesn't tell you anything. I know you're looking at things and saying, well, you know, even though they got away with it sometimes or it didn't amount to anything, they still made mistakes. It's hard to judge anything off of a game like this because Vanderbilt, they were just 
at a low point. I mean, Vanderbilt has never had a program lose every game. They've never been winless. Yeah, yeah, and they're on a track to be winless. You know what I mean? Like well, they've never had to play an entire SEC schedule before, though. You know what I mean? They, yeah. There was always a letter school or, or two in that schedule where they could pick up a win. Yeah, that's true, too. But it it's uh, it's a still a really bad team. And we haven't really talked about Mizzou's offense yet. And the offense is becoming – I don't. I don't want to say they're one-dimensional, but early in the season, we kind of thought, well, they threw a lot against LSU and had a lot of success. Then they ran the ball against Kentucky and had a lot of success. And ever since then, I feel like it's pretty much the Roundtree show. That is our offense for the most part. Basilek doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He seems very calm under pressure, but we're not giving him a lot of opportunities to air it out. And I think, you know, it's this offense is designed uh, on the legs of Larry Roundtree the third and he gets an occasional excellent breather when Tyler Beatty comes in I mean Beatty is quietly an awesome runner but it's all about Roundtree and do you feel like we're a one-dimensional offense or do you think we're limited in any way or do you think it's just well, like this is successful so we're going to do that thing over and the, over and over that is essentially what I'm alluding to at the offensive line it's like well, as much as you want to you know think oh Beatty's not throwing those 60 yard bombs like he did in LSU but you know our offensive line doesn't give him that you know you to run those goes and to run double moves, that takes time. And he, we, it's not that they're not protecting, but they're not protecting long enough to do that. And they, uh, at least they haven't since LSU. And that's what I mean. I'm not saying the line is terrible, but the offense can't really do that big over the top explosive stuff. If they, if a smart coach knows his line isn't up to the job, he's not going to, he's not going to throw that into the game plan. And that's part of what I think we're seeing. And then the other thing is just identifying you've got two really good running backs. Roundtree is a fucking absolute workhorse. So why would you go, go with your strengths, you know, and Roundtree is definitely a strength. This is the first time we saw that Elijah young kid. And like, he looked fast as shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got him in the open field one time. I thought, wow, he's faster than Beatty or Roundtree. Now that doesn't mean he's going to be a, 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 an all-star back or anything like that but i thought man when they got him to space that guy absolutely had jets but the offense is just it's sort of methodical and efficient and uh basil can convert third downs they've been really good on fourth down all season i just i think it's a it's an efficient well-coached more or less mistake-free offense and one of the things that Drinkwitz seems to get credit for and and rightly so is that this team is always prepared they don't beat themselves which is such a juxtaposition to the way they've looked for four years under Barry Odom, where it was constantly them pulling out a 44 Magnum and blowing their big fucking toe off every quarter at least once. <laughs> That's true. I mean, if, if there's been one major difference in this squad and last year's squad under Barry Odom, and I think it's interesting to compare these two seasons because they're essentially with the same roster. Mizzou doesn't fall into the same traps it has for the last four years. We beat Kentucky, we beat Vanderbilt, we beat South Carolina in years that we weren't in this year we weren't necessarily supposed to, but we always feel like we should. And we did it this year. We're getting the job done. Even when it's not pretty, it's getting done. And I think you mentioned seeing some new things on offense. This is not a new thing, but Dove continues to impress me and a lot of other Tiger fans with his ability to catch the ball. Having a lot of experience watching Mizzou receivers drop a lot of passes, Toski Dove is a kind of a fun receiver to watch. Dove looks good. The receiving core looks looks pretty good. Knox looks a lot better in the slot this year. I mean, he's had some bad drops we've seen, but he's been targeted so many times. The, he is the key receiver, I think, and, and but he's not the only one by far. The, um, 
Basilak has spread it around pretty well. Frankly, yeah, I at the, think eight different receivers, nine different receivers caught balls mm-hmm. on uh, Saturday. Well, when you win 41 to nothing, a lot of receivers are going to catch balls. You know what I mean? It's just everybody's mm-hmm. going to look good on paper. In fact, Brady Cook, at the end, that final touchdown driver, we were supposed to really run out the clock, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Well, it turns out our second string is still way better than Vanderbilt. Because that was a good ball that got caught for a touchdown at the end of the game. I don't know. We look strong at the quarterback position for the years to come, I feel like. Yeah, I think I think it's easy to forget Baselak is as young as he is. I mean, if you may see a lot more of that sort of lighted up down the field as, you know, in his second, third, fourth year. You know what I mean? Like as sure. he, you know, kind of grows into the job, fifth year, if we're lucky. Yeah. I think the strength of this team ultimately is going to end up, I mean, at this point, it's the defense. In every game, we have more or less had success with Alabama and Tennessee beating us and well and Florida fuck i mean but we've got the defense is is going to keep us in games i feel like and and i like the way they they play aggressively they they've got experienced safeties which lets them makes the the corners feel like they got safety help and they can be aggressive because they know there's somebody over the top that's not going to blow an assignment you know what I mean? They can be yeah. aggressive. They can be a little heavy handed at the line. And, you know, when you got good linebackers, it just, it makes everything, it makes it easier to be aggressive because ultimately, you know, when you start blitzing and doing stunts and all kinds of crazy shit, it just, it makes me vulnerable. And the more inexperienced or just playing out bad your players are behind you, you're more exposed. But I don't think that's the problem. And we can do some, some aggressive things on the defensive side because everybody's pretty good and experienced and, and talented. And so there's, they can sort of make up for, taking a few gambles here and there on the defense. I'll tell you, you know, everybody loves a sack. It's always exciting when that happens, at least when your team's on defense. But for me, nothing is more exciting when you record a sack when you're only rushing three. You know what I mean? That's fun because it means they've got no fucking hope. You know what I mean? Like you've got most guys in coverage and you're still putting a ton of pressure on the quarterback. That's fun to watch. And you, when you, and that I feel like, I don't know if you can scheme that up. I feel like that's just talent. You know what I mean? When you're mm-hmm. only rushing three and you're still pressuring the quarterback, that means you just have beasts at linebacker or defensive well, I, end. I think that, you know, with Gillespie and Bledsoe at safety, you've got two very quality starting caliber SEC safeties. You got Bolton and Manuel in the second level at linebacker. I mean, that as a defensive coach, you can feel pretty good about doing some creative things. And you could just send Bolton on a blitz and feel confident he's going to get home. It doesn't sound like that big a thing, but they send blitzers all the time that don't get home. But Bolton gets home because he's faster and more talented and stronger than 90% of the linebackers in in college football. You know, that's an incredible gift as a a defensive coordinator. You know, you can run blitz him and it's going to work. Whereas maybe you're run blitzing with somebody who's not as good as Bolton and it's a gamble. It's not nearly a big a gamble when you're as fucking good as Bolton is. Yeah. I mean, this team isn't that different from last year, but they look so much more talented. What is that? How is that possible? And it has to be coaching. And the question is, was Barry Odom a bad coach or is Eli Drinkwitz a really good coach? Or or, I don't know. I mean, Barry Odom did not do a good job here. That's just, that's the fact. But uh, is Drinkwitz doing great? Is he doing good? I don't know. It's He's already exceeded expectations. This win over Vanderbilt was the win that got us over what most SEC media folks thought we would do. You know, three wins was what they had us pegged for. We're at four and we have a potential for stacking some more up real potential to do it. The unglamorous fact of this football team is with Drinkwitz is that they're just assignment sound. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't shoot themselves. And it, it doesn't sound like much necessarily, but it is it is the biggest difference 
that I see in this football team. When I get excited and I want to look to the future, I'm looking at the three games we got left on the schedule. We've got Arkansas, not a gimme by any chance, but I think we as a program look at what we're doing and what they're doing, and we look at where we were last year and where we are this year, and we think we have to, you know, we are a strong candidate to win this game. We can beat Arkansas. Mississippi State, I look at what they did in the Egg Bowl, wasn't all that impressive. They haven't had that impressive of a year, but at the same time, you never know. They beat LSU, you know what I mean? And they, they gave Georgia all they wanted. So, But they're a winnable game. And then you've got Georgia at the end of the year. We're likely going to be playing them on the same day as the SEC championship. Georgia will have nothing to play for. You know, there is a chance we could sneak up. If there's ever a time where you're going to sneak up on Georgia, it's now, whenever they just don't care anymore. It's COVID year and their chances are shot because they got beat by Florida. And then you got to play not in Atlanta. They may not really want to play at all. And so what I'm getting at, what I'm the long way of saying it is we could win out. Granted, we could lose out, but we're looking good. And there's a chance, a real chance that we could win out now. I don't. I wouldn't yeah, bet I on think, that, but but it's possible. You know, it's 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 a realistic possibility. You know, it's maybe not the most realistic, but it is not far fetched, and it seemed far fetched at the beginning of the season. I think what you're going to watch against Arkansas a little bit is you're going to watch SEC Coach of the Year for you know that's what's going to be at stake because Sam Pittman was the uh, was the darling choice of the uh, SEC media early on, but as we've plugged along to the season, everybody's like. You know, oh, here's Drinkwitz, and uh, wow, is Mizzou over 500 and exceeding all expectations and looking good doing it? And uh, I, that's what I feel like if Mizzou whips up on Arkansas next weekend, that that's what's going to happen. Is everybody's going to forget fat-headed lunatic Pittman, and they're going to give it to Drinkwitz. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think that Mizzou got more praise in the post-game shows on the SEC Network than I've seen them get since we joined the league, maybe. And I think, obviously, we had an impressive win. But I think part of what it was is those guys don't care about us, and they don't watch us. And they did want to see the Sarah Fuller girl kick a field goal. And I think a lot of people were tuned into that game who maybe wouldn't have been otherwise, just kind of waiting for the oh, maybe Vanderbilt's going to score and then they'll get a chance to poke one in and I'll get to watch it. And so I think they actually watched more of the game because of that than they normally do. And so they were heaping praise on us. You know, Arkansas is three and five right now. Granted, they started out with with some good football. They beat Mississippi State. They almost beat Auburn. You know, they they beat Ole Miss and they played Texas A&M well. They beat Tennessee. They have looked good, but they also got stomped by Florida. You know, they got beat by the same. LSU team that we beat. They're three and five, four and four and three. Drink is making a better case in my mind than Pittman ever was. It certainly adds an element of entertainment to this game. And there's always the Odom factor. I mean, Odom is going to care about this game, even if the rest of the team doesn't. It's really the first time in, in recent memory where the game should actually be competitive. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was competitive last year, but shouldn't have been. Right. You know, but where these teams both feel like they should win. I think the last couple of years, Mizzou felt like they should win and Arkansas didn't. Arkansas hasn't felt like it should have won in a while. And this is the first year in recent memory where both teams are going to be like, we should win this game, which is what, you know, rivalries are made of. And we- as much as no one wants this to be a rivalry, it could be if every year both of these teams are just good enough to feel like they should both be winning. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly it becomes something. You know, we've been in the SEC now, I think, for eight years, and Arkansas is on its third coach, three coaches in eight years. That's not good. They have been in complete disarray. Last year, Arkansas was the worst team 
in the SEC, far worse than Vanderbilt even. It is impressive that they're even competitive in these games and that they're three and five at all. But I don't know. I guess it's the proof will be in the pudding this weekend. And I think a lot of Mizzou fans are going to be very excited about it because, you know, Odom is the defensive coach over there, you know, and we are both sort of on a par from the national media standpoint. You know, people are looking at us as, you know, programs that we have new new coaches, a lot of hope, but they're coming off of some really kind of rough times. And we- I think uh, everybody everybody's going to be looking at it from the angle of, man, Odom's going to want to show Mizzou what a mistake they made. I think there's they that leaves out the fact that Drinkowitz is probably going to want him want to show everybody like he's going to want to pants Odom. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this you guys made the right decision here. There's a there's a I think everybody's looking at this from the wrong perspective. The one thing I, I will say about the Drinkwitz team, which I'm very happy about, but the from an offensive standpoint, and even again in the Vanderbilt game, and I'm hoping maybe maybe I'll see a little bit more in the Arkansas game, which is just surprises, I guess. I was hoping for a little bit more sort of razzle dazzle and reckless sort of play calling. Reckless abandon. Yeah. You know, that's sort of I had viewed Eli Drinkwitz's play calling as sort of a Lane Kiffin esque. It's not I just, terribly I to this point. It's been fairly conventional, you know, ground and pound. I think he's I think he's just smart. I think he knows what works and he he look, he looks at the team he's going up against. He finds out what their weaknesses are and he does whatever he needs to do to win and I know no, they're not running the Statue of Liberty, but they do run a lot of motion. They run triple triple sets, you know, they do run jet sweeps. You know, they do do some things that while they're not super creative, they're not necessarily conventional either. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, I think maybe it's people are are overselling the crazy plays a little bit what Drinkwitz was you know, going to do, but are underselling the uh, sort of creativeness of his offense too. You know what I mean? Like he is doing some things that we certainly did not see in the past. Well, I do think he represents sort of the new school approach to football play calling. He's more modern in that. Just like a, he's not exclusive in this, but like the number of times we go for it on fourth down in situations where it's not obvious that you might go for it in fourth down. That's skyrocketed. And that I'm seeing that across the league. And I think that's a big part of why you're seeing so much offense and so little defense this year. I mean, there's, there's a couple of factors. I mean, I think offenses are getting more and more complex. It's getting harder and harder to defend and the infrastructure and the rules allowing you to make, to even play defense. It's getting so hard to play defense without targeting calls or roughing the passer. Things are getting harder for the defense and the offenses are getting more creative. It's just, and, and Drinkwitz is bringing a style that plays right into that. You know, he is part of modern football. We're not old man football anymore. Like we would have been on a sort of a pinkle era. So, well, I think just like when I mentioned the, the linebacker like Bolton and, and having experienced talented safeties like Gillespie and Bledsoe make being more aggressive, on defense easier to do. I think having Basilac and Roundtree make it easier to make that fourth down call. We're going for it. Basilac's not going to do anything stupid. Maybe we don't get it, but he's not going to turn it over. He's not going to take a 40 yard sack. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's easier to make that call. He's an efficient passer. Like we're, pro- this is probably going to work. Drinkwitz trusts his offense. He trusts his play calling. He just got to have players that he can trust. And I think he's got that now. So it makes it easy to make a fourth down call when you believe in your quarterback. And as, as simple as that sounds, I can tell you what, there's a lot of coaches in college football that don't believe in their quarterback, despite what they're telling you. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, Derek Mason could tell you something about that. Most coaches could probably tell you something about not really trusting their quarterback. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think the only people who really trust their quarterbacks are the guys who have upperclassmen or guys with tons of experience or tons of big plays under their belt. I mean, like a Kyle Trask. I think Dan Mullen's not too worried about his quarterback. 
but that's the rare exception. Like Basilek's not Kyle Trask, but he's trustworthy. And no. like I said, that's something that not all coaches enjoy. I think at this point, he has been managing the offense. You know, he's doing well. He's running the offense, but he's not the star of the offense. No, and I don't I don't think it's, it has ever been Drinkwitz's intention for him to be the star, which is why I think it, not to fret too much that maybe he's not doing all the things you'd like him to do. I don't think that's the I don't think that's been the game plan. No, you're right. And I think that I like a lot of fans, was sort of bamboozled by how the LSU game went and what we were going to look like following that game. And I need to just readjust myself and realize that 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 wasn't the illusion. You know, that was the exception to the rule. You know, we we're going to run a different style of offense against a team, you know, that has competent safeties that run the right direction because LSU didn't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they, they didn't have anybody in the field when we cut those touchdown passes. Colin, we need to go to our first break. We've run way over. We've got a lot to talk about. We are going to save a little time because we're not going to do sour grapes this week because obviously it was Vanderbilt. Yeah, they don't do sour grapes. They have nothing to be sour about. I mean, it is interesting about Derek Mason. We can maybe get into that a little bit later. He was fired after this game. We found out later. It's uh, become a pattern now that coaches either get fired after playing Mizzou or they get fired just prior to playing Mizzou. It's happened, I think, five or six times in the last couple of years. But add Derek Mason to the pile of corpses. But like I said, we'll get into that in the SEC Around the Horn segment. We'll be back. This is the Mazzotcast. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, we have a new sponsor. Who is it? Well, they're called Manscaped. And oh, I know I know this product. Yeah, they sent us some stuff, didn't they? Yeah, we shaved our sweet salty balls with them. I'll tell you what, they have good stuff. I shaved and I found a tattoo I forgot I even had. <laughs> They're the number one men's below-the-belt grooming company in America. My balls are so soft. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the governing body who decides this, by the way? I don't know, but I I believe what they're telling me. Manscaped has redesigned its electric trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 2, and it has proprietary skin-safe technology, so the trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. It's a zero-turn mower. It gets the job done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's scrote-safe. That's guaranteed. But I can't tell you how many lacerations my ball sack used to have before we got Manscaped. Well, you shouldn't have been using that bullwhip, Colin. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. In my defense, it was a rusty lawnmower blade. But either way, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Don't use the same trimmer on your face as you use on your balls. That's day one stuff. Act now and you can get 20% off and free shipping. Just use the code armchair at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the right job. Your balls will thank you.
back. And we have some listener music for you. This is Dan Ruprecht, who brought us this song called Soul Food. We're going to start playing these songs in their entirety at the end of the show. So if you like a song, you can wait to the end of the show and you can hear the whole thing. Send in your music at mizodcast at gmail.com and we'll play it for you and get it some airtime. I mentioned that we don't have sour grapes this week, but we do have voicemails. We have a lot of thoughts from the Mizzou Tiger fans following this big win. And let's get into it now. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Don't tackle the boobies. Don't tackle the boobies. I think that's a reference to the female uh, kicker. Uh, <laughs> Gotcha. What's up, you fucking idiots? Oh, well, Vanderbilt's down 21 at damn near halftime. Don't worry. Derek Mason's a good coach. His team's improving. So you guys just need to shut the fuck up about it. Anyway, I'm about to go throw this frozen turkey in the deep fryer. I heard that's the uh, <laughs> best way to do it. So happy Thanksgiving. It's a little bit late. Go fuck yourself. Love you, bud. Well, it's good to hear from Phil again. Yep, yep. Football is so fun when you don't suck dick. <laughs> it's analysis. Huh. Hey, Mazodcast. This is Daniel at Silver Dollar City. I hey, Daniel. You kind of some... Fuck. I'm so terrible at doing this. God damn it. I'll call again. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> May stay in there, Daniel. Hey, Mazodcast. Daniel at Silver Dollar City. Just looking at these games here. I really love these helmets. I'm glad they brought back the triple stripe with the block in. Bring back good memories. Um, also, I didn't know if you guys heard this in the broadcast or not, but apparently Vanderbilt's kicker is a girl. <laughs> That's mind-blowing. Let's talk about it for another hour. <laughs> well, there you go, Colin. He's on oh, the same I'm page as you. Don't be wrong, but let's, I mean, let's not pretend it's, you know. Yeah, like, it's, it's the glass a, ceiling is still. There's a football game going on that day, you know what I mean, by the way. Yeah, it's not the first female president. Well... I'm going to make an astute observation here and just say that Vanderbilt is absolutely terrible at the game of football, and Nick Bolton might be really good at the game of football, and that's really all I got to say in this first half. So, you know, just keep the foot on the gas and don't let up. Both things are true. Kansas or Vanderbilt win in a football game? This year? I mean, I think this year it could be a toss-up. I I watched a little bit of the Kansas game, and you're going to be surprised to hear this, Colin, but not that impressive. But (laughs) year in and year out, I think Vanderbilt's obviously a better program than Kansas. I would agree with that. Well, it's halftime against Mud Pie University, and it's (laughs) going as we expected. Vanderbilt, I'd just like to challenge you to something. I'd like you to just cancel the season right now and get to the real, you know, root of the problem down there in Nashville, which is why every fucking country song that comes out now is just the most pop bullshit. I mean, I don't know if Maroon 5 is writing all the songs down there now, or Ricky Martin (laughs) took over producing everything, or what, but I am fucking sick and tired of country music being the absolute worst thing on the radio. I mean, it's obviously affecting the team. I mean, you guys are fucking have not won a game. You all look terrible. I mean, it's possibly ruining Nashville altogether. And I just call upon you, Vanderbilt, please, please find out what the fuck is going on down there. Yeah, pull your best men off uh, finding the coronavirus vaccine like you're yeah, doing. And fix country music. It'll help <laughs> Vanderbilt football. I don't know who this guy is, but uh, Maroon 5 and Ricky Martin references. He's, he sounds old. <laughs> Halfway through the third quarter, and this is what we needed. Before today, every close game 
every game we won was a close game, excuse me, and every blowout was one that we lost. And it's about time that we blow a fucking team out. And I'm really excited that Eli finally figured that out. MIZ. Well, I think it is. Uh, we maybe got lost in what we were talking about in the first part of the show, but it is good to blow out a team. Fuck them. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Sam Call from Kansas City. Real big fan of the show. Up 27-0. We're covering the spread. But goddamn, uh, Sarah Fuller, I mean, if I have to see her fucking limp dip one down to 40 one more time, I'm about to fucking throw my phone to the goddamn TV. Boys are playing great. Defense is coming up real good. Great stop in the first half. I'm cracking another beer to yourself. <laughs> well, y'all had to watch a kick once, so I hope you, hope you didn't yeah. throw your phone in. So it turns out that Vanderbilt is a terrible, terrible football team. Who would have thought? Yeah, it wasn't a case of Sherlock Holmes. We we knew they weren't going to be very good, but good lord, Vanderbilt sucks so bad that we put in our second and third team defense, and they still can't even get in field goal position for the necessary <laughs> roughness kicker. <laughs> oh well, a few minutes left. Maybe they will. Yeah, I forgot and about. Remember last year when Vanderbilt beat us in the last minute, and Derek Mason came on the field and screamed. Commodore's anchoring down like you just won the national championship or beat Alabama. Well, I believe we just stuck that anchor right up your ass, Derek Mason, M-I-Z. Yeah. And, uh, I had this, forgotten that. Yeah, the call came in before uh, Derek Mason got fired, so you were right. Yeah, and I, I didn't even make the connection that we'd watch Necessary Roughness and watch the real first Power 5 kicker. Yeah, that's right. Meet football. Welcome to football. <laughs> That's right. Oh, if only the opportunity had presented itself for her to say that. Yeah, if only some way, somehow, TJ Mosta could still be on our football team and she could have kicked him in the balls. <laughs> That's right. I haven't seen The his... only Mizzou Tiger I want kicked in the balls. I haven't seen his hot takes on the topic, but I can imagine they're mm, slightly above troglodyte caveman. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. That's just my I'm guess. Me, he's in the uh, Jason Whitlock boat with take away the right to vote. <laughs> yeah, keep him in the kitchen is probably his take. <laughs> yeah, don't belong in a football field. Who's making the pies if she's doing the kicking? <laughs> oh, so great with beating the fighting Sarah Fuller's 41-0. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it was great for them to speak about Larry Roundtree and Eli Drinkwitz and everything else. Well, focusing on the moment in history. Don't get me wrong, the moment in history is really cool. Great to see a lady, but Jesus, that woman's put up more fight than fucking Vanderbilt. Larry Roundtree for Heisman, four wins, beating Vegas, now playing with house money. Still got other people to go. Let's go. Woo! <laughs> We've converted our Houston fan. He's a tiger now. Thanks, Alex. Larry's been up on Vandy. They don't belong in the SEC. The whole state of Tennessee is trash. Drink for president. Let's go get drunk and bang some fat chicks. <laughs> That's right. You know, we got two fat chick banging references. Two wins, two fat chick banging references. I like it. It's tradition. Well, I would be more happy, but the fucking SEC network, I mean, it was a cool moment that she kicked, but they literally fucking talked about it for the whole I'm not even over-exaggerating if you fucking watch the game. They talked about it for the whole 60 minutes of the entire game. They talked about it. They talked about her before she was even on the field. They showed the highlights after she kicked the 30-yard fucking squib kick for kickoff. They fucking talked about it after. They interviewed her after the game. Like, Jesus Christ, I mean, I get it, but you don't need to talk about it for the whole fucking time. Jesus Christ. Well... I mean, we won 41 to 0. Drink really impressed me today because Barry Odom probably would have lost that game, honestly, <laughs> with what the shit yeah. we've seen in the past. And now he refuses to beat Vanderbilt or any good team. And I also saw some about him interviewing for the head coaching job at 
Virginia Tech, by the way. So uh, Virginia Tech is going back down to the gutter of Power 5 football. M-I-T. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Barry Odom's going to bounce right back into a Power 5 head coaching job, though there seem to be a lot of openings already. Yeah, I, now, well, I understand that he's uh, helped to revive Arkansas a little bit. If they happen to watch any of the last four seasons before that, I feel like they'll quickly cool on the idea of hiring him as their head coach. Yeah, and I know I hate to beat this dead horse, but the guy was right. Like a couple of times, they would miss the snap on the field because they would have a picture of the girl on the sideline. Like, hey, let me see the snap of the football and the play that's going on. So I don't. I mean, anyway. Yeah, well, and to, to be fair to I think our listeners and, and everybody else, I don't think anybody anybody is opposed to you know it happening or the people getting excited about it and making a big deal out of it, but. You got to realize the one group of people who aren't going to be that interested in it is the opposing team's fans. <laughs> you know, Mizzou. <laughs> we, yeah. we we want to win. That's why we came to show up. You know, and so yeah, I'm but, all for it, but not at the expense of not being able to watch plays happen in the game. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of games that I don't care about, like the Texas Iowa State game. Uh, the only reason I cared about that game is because Texas lost. But in general, those are two programs that I don't care about. And if if there had been a female kicker in that game, it would have given me a lot more interest in that game. But if you're the opposing team, it's not. I the, bet, I it's bet not the, the Vanderbilt baseball. players didn't love it either. Well, certainly the <laughs> Vanderbilt kickers aren't loving it. You know. No, no. Good game, good win. Never going to complain about a shutout, but I think the TJ Mo douche of the week has to probably go to the Missouri defense for not letting that girl get a chance to kick. Oh well, I'll take it. It might be. <laughs> I don't think you jog. I mean, they did. They did take the wind out of everybody's sails who wanted to see it. But that's good. That's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. But I hear you. Yeah, even the second string wasn't interested in letting her have a shot at it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think everybody thought at some point, you know, they're gonna something's gonna happen where they're gonna get you know to the fifteen and stall out a drive or or maybe even score a touchdown. But nope, it was not even close. I mean, they I don't, they never spent any time on our side of the field. I don't think they ever got in the red zone, no. No, they did not. They did not. Houston, Missouri fan here. Yes, absolutely fucking dick them. Uh, dick them. Put their team, every single one of the team, over the front and gave them a damn good seeing to. And it was fun. Larry Roundtree got the first in, and then it just kept on going and going and going. Now Vanderbilt, fuck off back to the Big 12. <laughs> Vanderbilt in the Big 12 at any point? Well, they're not SEC. I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen an SEC team yet. Also, Larry Rountree is definitely the Kirk Farmer Hair of the Game Award winner this week. Yeah, I I, I don't think there's a lot of mystery about this week's uh, Kirk Farmer's Hair Award. No, no. Did you guys know that there was a female kicker for Vanderbilt tonight? I just saw that on the interweb. Huh. I wish they would have said something about that on the broadcast. Anyway, <laughs> M-I-Z. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, for everybody being so upset that they talked about the girl kicker too much, that's all our voicemails have been about. It did. Like, when I said it from the beginning of the show. Like, it's great. It's great. I get it. It's a good thing. But, like, they beat it to death. Yeah. And then when she didn't get to do anything the entire game, it made it all that much worse. Like, oh, so we just talked about the entire game and she didn't get to do anything. Yeah. I mean, imagine how the broadcast would have gone if Vanderbilt had poked in an 18-yard field goal, you know, at the very, you know, going up three to nothing. And then the game had gone exactly the right way it did already. You know, I mean, would that 
have quelled it? You think that talk would have ended? Or do you think it would have just been all Seraphil or kick talk still? I think they had to keep talking about it because they had to keep sort of leading into it because they thought it's going to happen. You know, it's sort of like they kept talking, building it up, building it up, building it up. And if it happened in the first quarter, they just kind of got it over with and ripped the Band-Aid off. It would have just become, you know, background story. But instead, like up until the fourth quarter, there was still a chance that she might do something. Yeah. The fourth quarter seemed likely they might do something because we're going to pull our starters. Sean in Kansas City, great win. Just like, I mean, just beat the living shit out of them. Kind of feel bad that, I mean, I feel like Brink put in the backups a bit early trying to let them get, try and get a field goal off with the, the girl or whatever, but didn't work. On that note, I'm calling late because I have a nominee for TJ Moe's douche of the week. All right. Guess who it is? Fucking TJ Moe. Uh, <laughs> guess who had some opinions on the female ticker? <laughs> Go ahead and look that up, boys. He had some fucking things to say exactly what you would expect him to do. Am I agree? Yeah, we haven't looked it up. When TJ Moe became um, basically uh, the Diet Coke of fucking Clay Travis, I basically, I unfollowed him at that like he he was no longer interested in giving football analysis he was more about he sucks <laughs> and i quit following him <laughs> well as a result i keep getting recommendations for some reason i don't know how the algorithm works but they keep thinking i want to see what tj mo has to say and honestly i don't does he talk about football anymore or is he just gone completely just political conspiracy well, I, theory guy now is that because like, i have because i have people that i follow and follow me that also follow him i also Sometimes people retweet him or like a tweet and I'll see what he says. And every time I'm just like, good Lord, that is the most hot garbage, hot, garbage. hot take horseshit I've ever heard. And like just the most backwards, like you said, troglodyte horseshit on the internet. I think he used to try to hide under his hat a little bit, but now he's just like stared into it full bore. And it's because I think Clay he got Travis pulled into the election once or liked it once. And now he's like, Ooh, look at me. No, he is thirsty for Clay Travis's daddy love. And, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he isn't getting it, I guess, but I think he just, you know, like a lot of people, he got sucked way into the election stuff and he hasn't found his way out yet because he's just not smart enough to know what to say, when to say, or all his opinions are always wrong. Almost every, you know, he, he thought Barry Odom was the greatest coach we ever had. You know what I mean? He was, uh, there was a whole string where we went after his nuts last year, just about Barry Odom and how wrong well, he think, was all the time. I think TJ Mo just in general was thirsty. And what he figured out was there's a certain niche market on Twitter that if he appeased, gave him all the daddy love he wanted. Yeah, that's true. And that niche market doesn't like girls kicking footballs very much. <laughs> and so I'm sure his opinions had to be very negative. Oh God. I mean, I'm sure. I think we could easily play a game where we just write down what we would imagine TJ Moe said about it. And I bet we'd be really, really, really close. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> so there you go. There was, uh, I think, a lot of people being excited about the win and a lot of people being frustrated that the uh, win was not the focus of the football game in the national media. Yeah. And another thing that's not the focus of the national media, but it's something that we keep our eye on all the time. And that's what's happening to our neighbors in the West in Kansas, because it is once again time for Kansas News. Well, I always heard there were three kinds of suns in Kansas. Sunshine, sunflowers, sons of bitches. This is Kansas News. For a story from the Wichita Eagle, a Wichita crab restaurant and its bizarre story are part of a juicy new Showtime docuseries. Back in June, the Wichita Eagle reported that several Wichita restaurants appeared to be closed, including Crab King Seafood on West Street. I can only imagine what a crab restaurant is like in Kansas, which is a good 12... <laughs> 
1,200 miles from the nearest ocean. It's fresh, Brennan. It's fresh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what people won't come for. It's Kansas seafood. It's well known. At the time, the restaurant had been open at least through April, but the phone number was disconnected, decor was gone, and calls to the owner were not returned. Now it's starting to make a whole lot more sense. As it turns out, the owner of Wichita's Crab King's Restaurant was tangled up in a story so compelling it filled an entire episode of a much-buzzed-about new Showtime docuseries called Love Fraud, the four-part series which outlines the alleged misdeeds of Richard Scott Smith and the dozens of women he romanced, married, and allegedly swindled out of more than a million dollars, premiered on the channel on August 30th, and the final will air on Sunday. But in the second episode, which originally aired on September 6th and is entitled Wichita, it focuses on the owner of the crab restaurant and the strange tale on how she met Smith and opened a restaurant with him. The episode includes interviews with the owner and several employees, including the one who starred in the romantic relationship with Smith and footage from the restaurant taken by a private detective. So, Brendan, basically what you're telling me is this guy was good at convincing ladies to give him money while he was boning them. Yeah, but I don't know how the uh, – well, I, I don't – I'm not the economist that this guy is probably, but I don't know how opening a Kansas crab restaurant is a key to making millions of dollars off of a women you've hoodwinked. It got him on Showtime. He wooed her at a Kansas City karaoke bar, documentary says, when he disappeared for a month after Crab Kings opened. The woman who had left her husband of 39 years to move in oh, with shit. Smith – <laughs> emptying her husband's bank account in the process hadn't seen smith since so he swindled this lady opened a crab restaurant then disappeared and made it on showtime yeah that's maybe right. this is they were reading this all wrong but i mean you know like showtime and cinemax and hbo have those like campy late night like softcore pornography mm-hmm. maybe that's what this is this guy's a. Are, are you sure you're not just describing the plot of a softcore pornography on showtime maybe oh i don't know anything about those colin i don't have any <laughs> idea what the pro- plots are like you don't know anything about the red shoe diaries brennan <laughs> or emmanuel in space <laughs> the plots i know are deep and rich <laughs> let's see she said her marriage had cooled and her husband wasn't as affectionate as she'd liked so she went out to a kansas city karaoke bar where she met Rick, who took her hand and invited her to sing a Tim McGraw song with him. After that, she was smitten, emptied the bank account, dumped her husband of 39 years, opened a crab restaurant, and was devastated financially by it. So, sounds great. Yeah, I think you're definitely describing the plot of a softcore porn on Cinemax. <laughs> well, she thinks the restaurant still has a chance because Red Lobster, she says, is the only real competition. Nobody has dine-in, sit-down, fast, casual seafood around here. We're going to do it. Well, when else has she made a horrible, horrible mistake? So, she's probably right. Yeah, her judgment obviously is keen. <laughs> Kansas man busted for wearing fake male organ for drug test. <laughs> a Wichita County deputies arrested a suspect for falsifying a drug test by using a fake penis. According to the report, deputies were sent to the adult probation office Wednesday to check on a report that someone had attempted to falsify drug test results. A probation officer says that Francisco Gutierrez was drug tested and handed the probation officer a cup. The urine inside the cup was cold to the touch, so the probation officer told Gutierrez to lift his shirt and pull down his pants. Okay, that seems like a stretch, but maybe that's how it works. I don't know. I mean, he said it was cold <laughs> to that honker. He said it was cold to the touch and tasted a little odd. Yeah, now uh, let's see your dork. Yeah, the officer said Gutierrez was wearing a fake penis. It definitely didn't taste like a real one. (laughs) 
Gutierrez admitted the device was something called the Wizinator. Okay, is the Wizinator in any way related to the Home Wrecker? Are they by the same company? Probably. If so, they're it. <laughs> it's intimidating. I don't know. The Home Wrecker seemed all too real, frankly, for my taste. Yeah. The Wizinator would probably be super unbelievable for for me personally because it's probably like a nine inch dick and I'd be like, wow, that's not even close. <laughs> Seven inches too long. Yeah. Um, so he bought the Wizinator on the internet. Gutierrez was arrested and charged with falsification of drug test results. My question with the Wizinator. How does it work? This is the big thing. So does it just contain pee and they squeeze it? Why do you have to make a fake wiener? Why can't you just how? I have so many questions. I know this. I've got a buddy who uh, works for a, a company that is a construction company and the employees are all in a union and they get drug tested with some regularity. And these guys all literally carry around vials of monkey piss with them everywhere they go. It's not it's not uncommon. So they all have it. You say like with them regularly. All times, just in case. <laughs> monkey piss? Like you can buy monkey piss on the internet. Yeah, I was as shocked as you were. You're like, buy monkey piss on the internet. Okay. And then you can keep it with you and, uh, you know, dump it in a cup and pass the drug test should you need to. Do you need to stick it in the microwave? Because it sounds like that's where Gutierrez went wrong here. Well, I, I think the whole thing is, is you should keep it on you, your body heat, hopefully. I don't know. I don't think it's quite like that. It's not a probation officer. It's not one of those like, here, fill this cup, send it in sort of thing. I don't think there's anybody checking temperatures, but I don't know. It's unclear, but I know that um, this guy should just got some monkey piss. I think if you've gone to all the trouble to put on a prosthetic penis that shoots monkey piss, you would have thought ahead to be like, I don't know, stick the little cup under your armpit for a few minutes and just let it get a little warmer. You know what I mean? He'd gone so far. He was this close to being able to do his drugs and skirt probation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just, it's a shame. It's almost like criminal drug users are not smart. Not making great decisions. Hmm, weird. Great decision makers they are not. Next story, and this is timely. Kansas man shot three people he thought were stealing campaign signs. Jesus. <laughs> it's a shooting spree. Topeka police said several other political signs supporting both President Donald Trump and Joe Biden had been stolen over the last couple of weeks. Well, no shit. I'm sure that happens everywhere. You know what I mean? Political signs all time. go up and people think, hey, what's the best way to constitutionally say I disagree? I'll steal. Yeah, sure. Kansas man reportedly shot three people who he thought were stealing political signs from his yard. The Topeka Capital Journal reported the man told police three people were stealing his campaign signs supporting President Donald Trump. One, I was going to say, here's a twist. He was actually a Biden voter. <laughs> one gunshot victim was transported to an area hospital with potentially life-threatening injuries. Two people were taken into custody for questioning. No arrests have been made. What? What? Three people were shot and no arrests have been made? It is Kansas. If you're if you in Kansas, if you shoot somebody stealing your Trump sign, you're actually given a key to the city. <laughs> Topeka police said several other political signs supporting both President Trump and Joe Biden had been stolen over the last two weeks, yet no one had been shot till now. Are we sure TJ Mo did not move to Kansas? <laughs> It's possible he's got some game cam in his front yard. <laughs> just waiting for it. And our final story of the day, Kansas Jayhawks play the TCU. What are horny they? Frogs? The horny toads. Horned frogs. Yeah. Right? Th- yeah. Whatever. Horny toad frogs. And uh, Kansas didn't pull this one out, Colin. They lost 59 to 23. <laughs> I didn't watch a snap of this one, but <laughs> based on Twitter, 
it was worse than even as usual for Kansas. Is that right? I mean, the people acted like it was just, I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point of so embarrassing that it just needs to stop altogether. I actually did watch a couple minutes of this game, Colin, because I had finished watching all the football that had interested me. I mean, the SEC night games were getting kind of boring and they were blowouts. And so I saw that Kansas was playing and uh, sometimes I flip over to the Kansas game because I want to see them embarrassed, you know, and it's fun to watch. It's called Schadenfreude. And Mm -hmm. I turned on the Kansas game. Kansas had possession of the ball. They were like on their own 20. And they were obviously down by a lot. And the very first play I saw was their quarterback throw a pass to the sideline. The TCU defender jumped the route, intercept it, and run it back for a pick six touchdown. And I thought, okay, well, I've seen enough. That's what I tuned in for. You know, that's what I wanted to see. And I got it. Didn't disappoint. They are now 0-8 on the season. And Les Miles is looking more and more like possibly not the answer. Mm, Strange. Yeah, he can't turn it around. And really, at this point, you wonder, like, is Kansas fixable, you know, because like, how are they going to get recruits? This is embarrassing, humiliating, horrible. Well, that's what I mean. It's just, it's gotten to the point where I, I mean, you, you start seeing the stats, they, the money they've sunk into the football program and they've only won like six games in the last 90 or something like that. And the, and it means each one of those wins was worth like $43 million with more or less than that. But you know, like $4 million a win or something crazy like that. If you start breaking it down and at some point you go, why are we still doing this? Yeah, I don't know. I know that the Kansas fans are super despondent because they were always a basketball school, but it's one thing to not be good at football. It's another to be a laughing stock and they absolutely are a laughing stock. And somebody on our Twitter feed, actually said that being six and 90 or whatever was since Mangino left. But yep. but they pointed out that in Mangino's last year, he finished the season with seven straight losses. So they're really like 97 or six and 97. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I often wonder when the, whatever the big 12's like a uh, television contract runs out, if the whole thing just doesn't break apart with, if Texas and Oklahoma don't pack up their shit and head to a better conference and the whole conference breaks apart and maybe Kansas spends a little more time playing Rutgers in a different conference or something. You know what I mean? Well, like, I think Kansas is always going to be somewhat sought after because people do want their basketball program associated with their conference. You know, that that's what keeps them along. It's certainly not the football, but because they have a top tier. Well, and I'm not saying they're going to drop out of a power, the Power 5 conference. I'm just saying that I could see the Big 12 sort of busting up and them going to maybe a less competitive football conference. I don't know. I mean... The, the Big 12 is a clusterfuck, but somehow they've managed to stay together for the past six, seven, eight years. Although I will have to say in a very diminished capacity because they've got a, had Oklahoma and nobody else really at this point. Baylor's- well, I think like a football team, you can just see that like when the people at the top are not good at their jobs, everything suffers. And the Big 12 had that for a long time. The people in, in at the top were, were nutless and they let Texas basically take over the entire conference and Texas ran it in a way that was what was best for Texas and not what was best for the Big 12. And now they're reaping what they sowed. That's what happens to a football team. You get a bad coach, everything suffers. Yeah, You got to be good at the top. They have been terrible for so long, but that's not going to change. And that still makes me happy. I am looking forward to being able to play them in basketball, though. Yeah, if it ever gets to happen. All right, Colin, it's time for us to take a look at some better football, and that's in our own conference in the SEC. It's getting interesting. We're nearing the end of this COVID-affected 2020 season. Let's go around the horn with the SEC. We, we, we bring the 
break our bread at Waffle House, our teams are pretty good. We even play some basketball when Jesus says we should. So pour a little bourbon and repeat right after me. We built a church for Saturdays and called it SEC. Jesus loves football. And Colin, would you fire up the old Paul Feinbot? Absolutely. Nick Saban, Alabama, Alabama. All right. It was supposed to be rivalry week this week, and in a lot of cases it was, and one of those is the Iron Bowl. This was a game that was not much to talk about. I don't agree. It was sort of a middle-of-the-day game, and I think I knew, I think a lot of people knew, Auburn was not on a caliber to play with Alabama, and it was never a contest that was in any way competitive. Alabama. Alabama beat Auburn 42-13. to <laughs> Yeah, a most unsurprising outcome ever. You're right about that. Yeah, uh, this looks like a really good Alabama team. People are starting to talk about the uh, playoff picture. I think the first playoff poll is out. Alabama is now the unanimous number one, and they look to deserve it. I'll drink to that. <laughs> yeah, I people talk about Clemson. I, I, I can't see anybody beating Alabama. Their quarterback, Mac Jones, threw for five touchdowns against Auburn. Auburn's ranked number 22 in the country, but no more, no more. And he looks really good. And that's Trevor Lawrence is the big advantage that Clemson has over everybody. And if, if uh, Jones is that good, well, then... I'll take Alabama because then just the, if you're basically equal at quarterback and you're going to take the rest of the team. And I don't feel like Clemson can stack up with Alabama. I don't either. Especially, you know, Clemson has had a much softer schedule than them so far. Yeah, as always. Moving along, LSU and Texas A&M played each other. This was the night game, and I was kind of looking forward to it because LSU has not been good this year, and Texas A&M is, you know, one of the, is number five in the country at this point. But LSU seemed to be kind of clawing their way into some sort of sense of relevance, but not in this game. A&M led throughout, and even when LSU looked to be at a point where they were going to think about turning things around, they made mistakes, they had turnovers, they lost 20-7, to to A&M, good win for A&M. They go 6-1, and one and they are, I think, the last man out. They think they're number five in the new playoff poll, so they're feeling really good. LSU continues to flounder at 3-4. and four. TJ Finley, their quarterback, had two interceptions, no touchdowns. It was a turd burger. It wasn't a good game. I was hoping it would be, and it just wasn't. Earlier on, Florida had taken on Kentucky. You would expect Florida to run away with this one based on the Kentucky that we saw, and really they did. It was 34-10 to 10 was the final. Florida never trailed at any one point. They're seven and one now. They're number six in the country. They're the obvious choice to go to Atlanta to represent the East. Kentucky is now at three and six, even though many, many, many people told us watch out for Kentucky this year. And Mark Stoops. Yeah. God, Mullen was on the sideline just tearing one of his coaches a new asshole. Like yeah. he continues to just be the worst. He is beloved. He is a likable person. I'm uh, hoping that once uh Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts disappear, if we, we don't see a an Ogeron like regression for Mr. Mullen. You know, and honestly, I've always thought he was a good coach and I thought he was a good hire, but he's become such an insufferable dickhead that yeah. I'm rooting against him now. And I'm hoping that like he'll just fail miserably at uh, Florida. Yeah, I think he's always been an insufferable dickhead. We're just seeing him a lot more because Florida's <laughs> yeah. in our division, you know? Yeah, sure. 
I did like that his assistant coach was giving it back to him a little bit. Usually when Nick Saban sort of fucking lambasts his own staff on national television during the middle of the game, those guys just sort of whimper into their soup and they look down and kick a pebble or something. Uh, this yeah, guy classy. Gave it, <laughs> this guy gave it back to Mullen. As well he should. I mean, they're up by a, a mountain of points, and it's, the game is in no way in doubt, and he's just lacing into him on the sideline on national television. Yeah, fuck Mullen. All right. Georgia took on South Carolina in South Carolina. They beat them handily, 45-16. to 16. <laughs> The Bulldogs seem to bounce back from their sort of rudderless point they're six and two now number nine in the country in south carolina coachless rudderless terrible adios yep and hopefully they stay that way yeah they're two and seven they looked like garbage hot garbage and then the egg bowl was on saturday not friday this year and it was probably the most competitive game in the sec ole miss won this one 31 to 24 when a late last minute hail mary attempt by mississippi state fell to the ground, the uh, lane train outran the pirate ship. It was, yep. I wanted it to be sort of wild and woolly and see these two coaches have like just epic press conferences after the game. But it was a very conventional football game. Almost just came out ahead. So they didn't uh, Star Trek style square off at the 50 and, and go for it. They didn't you know, do and that. Fight one another to the death. They didn't do that. No one mimed urinating in the end zone. A lot of things that we're used to in the Egg Bowl didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen. Yeah. That's a shame. Coming up in what is, you know, for us, we've got three games left on the docket. Some schools have one or two. A&M is going to take on Auburn now after their big win over LSU. Another ranked opponent. Auburn is obviously coming off getting their ass hammered by Alabama. Alabama. I expect A&M to roll in this one. Texas, A&M. Yeah, A&M not having the uh, fall off so far. So maybe they're going to break the break president. Yeah, the typical Jimbo Fisher rug getting pulled out from under you halfway through the season. It's we're still waiting for it, but uh, well, and and really that that proud A&M tradition was started by uh, the last coach, and then yeah, uh, Sumlin was a big fan of it. Yeah, and uh, Jimbo's just carried it on, but maybe he's going to break it this time around. Florida is going to take on Tennessee to round out their schedule, and Tennessee's now got two and five. How did we get beat by Tennessee? I I would love to have that Tennessee game back and have Basilak under center instead of Sean Robinson. Tennessee is still the pick to win the SEC East. That's the one game on the schedule that we probably definitely should have won that we did. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest mistake we've had in the season is letting Tennessee get through our grasp. So Florida for me. Absolutely, Florida. Paul, what do you think? Florida. Yep, that's what I figured. All right, Georgia is going to take on Vanderbilt. This is going to be a bloodletting of the worst sort. My question is, Colin, now that we've gotten rid of Derek Mason, I mean, the PR people at Vanderbilt were really playing up this uh, Sarah Fuller kicking duties. Are they just going to throw her back into soccer land or are they going to try to keep her around until she knocks in an extra point or something? They had like four people on the kicking, four kickers quarantined. I, I know, but they that. had another kicker that apparently could have gone besides her. I don't know. I mean, this is, I don't want to say it's a stunt, but it's obviously they're intentionally trying to sort of make history to get a woman to score points in a power five game. And they thought they'd have an opportunity. They got zero opportunities. Do they try it again until it happens? The season's meaningless. Try to make a little herstory, as they say. I mean, I, I mean, it's up to them, honestly. I, I, I honestly feel like it, it sort of steals from it if they do. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's they needed her. 
you know, and that was why she's on the team. But if, if they're they're doing it just for a publicity stunt at that point, I, so, I feel like it kind of cheapens it. it, it and I think you're right about that, but I don't know. It, we'll see. We'll see. There's obviously no question about the outcome. Georgia's going to win. I, I'd love to see what the what the line's going to be. Georgia. All right. South Carolina is playing Kentucky. These are these are two teams who uh, were really going to show Missouri something. You know, at the beginning of the season, people were talking about uh, where these teams were going to fall. And a lot of people liked Kentucky a lot. And all the people, even if they didn't like South Carolina, they picked them to be better than Mizzou. We're talking about two teams who have been now beaten by Mizzou. One's two and seven. The other's three and six. They got nothing mm-hmm. to play for. It's a crap game. It's in Kentucky. Who you got? Yep. South Carolina. Uh, Probably Kentucky. They still got a coach. It's not that Kentucky is... Kentucky isn't rudderless. They're just not very good, you know, yeah. and uh, and they were overestimated because they had a big, experienced offensive line and a coach. They've had the same coach for a long time, and that helps. But South Carolina is just a fucking disaster right now. They got no coach. They got no quarterback. They don't know what the fuck they are, and they're not going to figure it out till they get somebody else at the top. So I feel like Stoops gives them an advantage in this one. Yeah, just for consistency's sake. Yeah, just like they've got a coach. That's got to be worth something, right? And then the final game on the docket, uh, Alabama is taking on LSU. This game is usually a good game. This is one that everybody likes to see, and this is going to be completely anticlimactic this year. LSU is garbage. And Alabama, it seems to be an unstoppable beast. Alabama. So, mm-hmm. really, it's a bad slate of games. Nick Saban. Yeah. It's not my favorite. Mizzou and Arkansas, which is the final game that we haven't mentioned, that's uh, really one of the more competitive matchups. I'll pass on watching the Missouri game. Yeah, I think a lot of people watch that just because of what I talked about. You've got two new coaches, both maybe exceeding expectations a little bit. And uh, people will be curious to see what happens in that game, especially given the Barry Odom angle. You know, one thing we haven't talked about, Colin, about Arkansas that is fascinating to me, which is sort of the rebirth of Felipe Franks at Arkansas after what Mm -hmm. can only be considered a really disastrous term at Florida. Yeah, you know, I've complained for years about how how does a team like Florida never have a quarterback? And Felipe Franks was a large part of the reason I felt that way. And but now they've got Kyle Trask. So I can just I can they finally got a quarterback commensurate with the level of recruit and uh just resources Florida has. What do you chalk up Felipe Franks' success to at Arkansas now? I mean, he's he's got over two thousand yards passing. He's got seventeen touchdowns. He's you know they're they're still a three and five team, but they're a lot better than they were last year. And and Felipe Franks doesn't look like a total dumpster fire. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a better situation for a better offense, better coaching. I don't know. I don't know if you told me he was going to have a ton of success at Arkansas. I'd said, no, no, that's not happening. Well, success uh, in Arkansas don't usually end up in the same sentences together. (laughs) No, they don't. Honestly, at this point, I'll be disappointed if Mizzou doesn't win this football game. I don't buy the Sam Pittman thing yet. Maybe he'll osier on me and make me feel foolish. But uh, any team that's got Barry Odom you know, helping out quite a bit, that always makes me feel suspect. I just feel like we're a better team. We're a better coach team. You know, we should win this game. Larry Roundtree should have a day. Our defense and, and Nick Bolton should have a day. Fuck Arkansas. Fuck Arkansas. <laughs> I agree with that sentiment. I, it is going to be interesting. Obviously, Barry Odom is going to want to keep us off the scoreboard completely. And, you know, Drinkwitz is going to know that. He, I think he's going to pull out everything. He knows he's going up against they're being he compared bet. apples to apples, you know, no question. Yeah. So, yeah, he, that's what Drink would. Drink is going to want to pants him because he's like, don't put me in the same conversation 
with this douchebag because he's going to want to prove he's a much better coach. Like we're not the same guy. And, and it's going to give us an opportunity to play sour grapes because Arkansas fans have bought in, you know, they're like, we are reborn with Sam Pittman and Barry Odom and we are way proud and we should beat Missouri. No problem. That is is their sentiment. So I, I can't wait for us to win this football game and get to play some. Oh, so sweet. Or should I say sour? Great. <laughs> well, and I will say the vaunted Barry Odom defense at Arkansas has given up 90 points in the last two weeks. Weird. So, okay, that'll do it for uh, Around the Horn with the SEC. Colin, I do want to talk about our awards segment, the Kirk Farmer's Hair Player of the Game Award. Now it's time for Kirk Farmer's Hair Player of the Game. We, we mentioned it earlier. It is not much of a competition this week. We did see good performances out of many Tiger players, as one might expect when you win by 41 points. But this was just the Roundtree show. Yeah, and I'm tickled for him. At this point, he's he's the leading rushing running back in our school history. I think he's got eight or nine touchdowns in the season now. It's fun to watch. I mean, I just want him to just accumulate stats at this point. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I think he gives the team a lot of confidence. The only thing is that like, I think he steals a lot of spotlight from Tyler Beatty, who has some tremendous runs every week. He's not the back that Roundtree is. He's a different type of back. But Beatty gives us an excellent second option we are a tough ground attack even when our offensive line isn't as good as maybe some of the other sec teams we play against they're serviceable when you got a back who can run like round tree i hope he gets a, a chance if i know he's going to the senior bowl i hope he gets to go to the nfl but you know like running backs are a dime a dozen and you know i've seen guys like crockett god there's a list as long as my right arm of good mizzou running backs who never sniffed the uh, any success at the nfl so i wouldn't predict that for round tree but gosh i hope he gets a chance I do too. I do too. And you're right. There, There's no telling with running backs. I feel like they're sort of the middle infielders of the football field these days where they're just completely interchangeable. And if the, if we had a defensive award, I think, and, you know, obviously it would go to Nick Bolton. Every week we played a football game this year, I think Nick Bolton has been the best defensive player. There's no question about it. He continued to play well against Vanderbilt. You mentioned Manuel. Had a sack, almost had a pick six. Oh, yeah. if he just got that pick six. He's just a tremendous, tremendous player. And it always feels bad not giving him the Kirk Fummer's Hair Player of the Game Award because he always seems to mm. deserve it. But like I said, this was the Roundtree Show. It does make you kind of look at our second award, the TJ Moe Douche of the Week Award, and say, is there anybody, you know, obviously there's no clear-cut winner like we have for our Kirk Farmer's Hair Award, but there were competitors, and you mentioned Dan Mullen just eviscerating his own staff member on the sidelines. To me, mm-hmm. that uh, rings alarm bells and said, hey, we got a contender for TJ Moe's award this week, and it's going to be Dan Mullen. Yeah, you know, there's the Jason Whitlocks in the world, and I, I, we haven't paid enough attention to TJ Mo himself to know if he could win. Be, both of them could probably win it for the same reason, but I feel like Dan Mullen, you know, is a guy who uh, who's earned it this week. I mean, not very often you get to see somebody humiliate someone who works for them on national television. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think there were a lot of those Whitlock types, too, that raised their hand and, and made a case for the award because – I don't know. There, I think all the arguments we've heard from Mizzou fans that they're just, they felt like that people leaned too heavily on it and it took away from the actual coverage of the game. Those are valid arguments. A lot of the Jason Whitlock, TJ Mo type arguments, it's just being an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why can't you yeah, just, just enjoy something yeah. good happening? You know, like, good for this yeah. girl. It was 
been so cool the rest of her life. You should at least be happy for her. And then, yeah, they're like, why? How dare you try to enjoy something in 2020? <laughs> exactly. But it's like if you just wanted to watch your football team and have them talk about your football team, that's different. It doesn't mean you root you against this girl. Like Whitlock's rooting against her. It's weird. It's just being a dickhead. You can't give it to Whitlock or TJ Moe or any of the other innumerable shock jock dildos out there who have probably had talked shit about it because there's too many of them with the same hot take to give any one of them the douche of the week. So yeah. you just have to give it to Dan Mullen and his horns. And then I find a wife who's forced me to wear the horns of a cuckold. <laughs> That's right. It'll be nice to beat Florida again. You know, we've had a good long run of beating Florida and we had no, I mean, we did not play very well against them this year, but I kind of hope you're right. And when the, when the Kyles are gone, maybe we can, uh, Sneak in there and beat Dan Mullen because he's an insufferable ass. I sure hope so. All right, Colin, it is Arkansas week. We have been teasing out for a couple weeks now that we might have Barry Odom on the program again. Yep, sounds that way. Midweek, we'll uh, we'll reach out. We can't make promises, but that's right. And he he seemed interested in talking to us. You know, we we've had our history together, so we're looking forward to that. Looking forward to the chance of getting another Mizzou win. Obviously, if we get to fifth win, that will secure at least a 500 season. What that means in this year, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, what does any record mean this year? Everybody's going to get to a bowl game if they want to go, I guess. But uh, it certainly means we've exceeded expectations. And that's the important thing. I mean, what can you do with this year except learn who you are, get better? And the Tigers are doing that. And Eli Drinkwitz is doing that. He's Everybody's got good feelings, high hopes. Things feel good in Tiger country when a lot of the country doesn't feel so good. I don't know about you, Brennan, but uh, in this year of 2020 that has been such a miserable, festering pile of rancid dog shit, it's nice to have a winning football team. It sure is. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, Colin, until this midweek show, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. This guy should just got some monkey piss.
It's not what we are saying, it's the meaning 